Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ, welcoming you as we gather around God's Word to drink in His words of life. In the lesson you're about to hear, we're going to be taking a close look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1-8. through 8. Paul points out that we are not called to impurity, but called for the purpose of sanctification. What does that mean? Find out as we learn about morality, modesty, and mental purity. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? If so, that's good. However, that's not the end of your spiritual journey. That's only the beginning. It's regrettable the number of Christians today who base their relationship with God and think that everything is good simply upon the fact that they have been baptized for the remission of their sins. It's even more regrettable that there are those parents who believe that they have fulfilled their parental responsibilities at that moment when they finally get their young teenager in the water. But what the Scripture demonstrates to us is that baptism is the beginning. That now that we have been baptized into Christ, our responsibility is to grow and to draw closer to Christ. And there are numerous passages that talk about the responsibility we have to become more and more like God in our lives. But there's one that I would like for us to note this morning, and that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 deals with one aspect of the growth that we need to be participating in now that we have become children of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. We have not been called just to be baptized. We have been called for sanctification. And in this passage, Paul demonstrates three aspects of the sanctification that we are supposed to have. Morality, modesty, and mental purity. I'd like for us to examine these eight verses and see what they say to us about growing in Christ, and what it means to be called for sanctification. Called for sanctification three times within these eight verses, the passage demonstrates that we're supposed to be sanctified. There in verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And finally, in verse 7, driving it home, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. That is our calling. That is what we are supposed to be. Sanctified. Some translations say holiness. The concept of sanctification or holiness is the idea of being separated apart 
from the mundane and the vulgar in order to be used in the service of God. The Old Testament has a great example of this for us in the priests. Look in Leviticus chapter 8. In Leviticus chapter 8, when Aaron and his family were going to be separated out from among the rest of Israel in order to be dedicated to the service of God, they had to be set apart and sanctified. And Leviticus chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of the meeting, Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Verse 6, Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near and wash them with water. He put the tunic on him and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the artistic band of the ephod with which he tied it to him. He then placed the breast piece on him. And then in verse 10, Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it. Verse 11, he sprinkled some of it on the altar. Finally, in verse 14, then he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next, Moses slaughtered it and took the blood and with his finger put some of it on, around the horns of the altar and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And on it goes and talks about this blood of this sacrifice. These priests had to be separated out, made holy to God in order to serve Him and honor Him there at His tabernacle. Very interestingly, do you notice that it took washing and a sacrifice? Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Just as we were set apart and sanctified in that sense by washing and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But not only was there this moment of initial separation from the rest of Israel as they were dedicated to God, there were also greater and stricter laws for the Levites. In Leviticus chapter 21, as God wanted the Israelites, excuse me, the Levites to be sanctified, separated and different and set apart for His service, we can read in Leviticus 21, these various laws and restrictions that the priests and Levites had to follow. Leviticus 21, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall defile himself for a dead person among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother and his father and his son and his daughter and his brother, also for his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has had no husband. For her he may defile himself. He shall not defile himself as a relative by marriage among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make any baldness on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts in their flesh. They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God. For they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food of their God, so they shall be holy. They shall not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband. For he is holy to God. You shall consecrate him therefore." For he offers the food of your God. He shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, who sanctifies you, am holy. And it goes on and describes this sanctifying that the Levites were supposed to have. They were set apart initially, but then they were supposed to continue on with these strict guidelines of God. I recognize, of course, that the guidelines given to the priests are not our standard today. We're not under the Old Covenant. However, there's a principle that still applies. That is, that we are separated unto God. And according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, 
Peter wrote, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a priesthood. We are to have been separated out. And that's exactly what happened when we were washed with the waters of baptism and we died with Christ and His sacrifice. But now we are to follow the guidelines of Jesus Christ and to become more and more like Him. To be more and more separate from the world. To become a vessel for honor. That is our responsibility. Peter also described the standard of our holiness in 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 14, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 14, he said, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The standard of our holiness is God. And when we submit to that standard and grow by that standard, According to Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, we become useful for the Master. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1-8, through 8, that is what we have been called unto. Holiness. Sanctification. We've been separated out of the world by the blood of Jesus Christ when we were baptized into His death. And now we are supposed to grow in that sanctification. Following His guidelines. Growing closer to Christ. But Satan is not excited about our decision. Satan is not excited at all about what we have done. In fact, he is going to do everything he can to bring us back into his kingdom of darkness. And even back in the days of the Bible, and seemingly even more today, he had one weapon that just seemed to be almost all-powerful. And Paul addresses that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1-8. through 8. And it's the issue of sexuality. And Paul, as he drives home the point that we are called for sanctification, here in these eight verses, he drives home that being sanctified means we must be sexually pure. We must not be like the world. We must not be blinded by the world. And he talks about that purity and all that it entails. And that's what we need to notice this morning. The very first thing that he drives home about this, in verse 3, he says, abstain from... This is back in 1 Thessalonians 4, by the way. He says, abstain from sexual immorality. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul describes the works of the flesh and he says in Galatians 5.19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. We're not to walk in the flesh, however. We're to be guided by the Spirit and to produce the fruit of the Spirit. There's really only one rule that you need to understand when it comes to sexual purity. 
and sexual immorality and avoiding that. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. The New King James translates it. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is God's rule. Marriage. That is where sexual expression is allowed to take place. That is where sexuality is allowed to be expressed. That is the limit and confines of sex. And everything that goes along with it. And anything outside of that is a sin. It's immoral. And Paul points out here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1-8 through 8, that it must not be named among us. Now, I have to tell you that our society has made it increasingly difficult to preach on this topic. There was a time, I think, when you could just say sexual immorality is condemned and everybody in the audience would understand everything that you were talking about. But politicians and the media have blurred the lines and there are folks today that just don't know when you talk about sexual immorality, what that involves. There are some that have the idea that immorality is simply having sex with someone you're not married to, and that's where they draw the line. But there is so much more than that. And it's sad. Because today, as we like to talk about it, in order to try to maintain the decorum of this pulpit, of what we're doing here, and not trying to cross the bounds of decency and morality in our own speech, it makes it difficult to say these things in exactly the way they ought to be said for folks to get it. Because it seems today that only the most explicit bluntness drives home the message. I'm going to try not to be too explicit, but I do want to be very blunt. Sexual immorality is any activity which is a part of sex or leading up to sex outside of marriage. And that's it. That's it. I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 5. And I hope from reading Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, you can understand the extent of sexuality that are allowed and are condemned. In Proverbs chapter 5, beginning at verse 15, The proverbialist wrote, Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? That's God's explicit statement. And here's the point. Don't be holding. Don't be touching. Don't be making out with somebody that is not married to you. Well, I'm not married yet. Wait till you're married. And that's God's law. Sexual immorality is not to be a part of us. And I've got to add one more thing to that list, especially considering our modern society. 
Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. We need to understand that whether or not our society begins to call homosexuality marriage, God says it's immoral. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. I don't know how God could have been more clear than these two verses in Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I don't care if you call it love. I don't care if you call it marriage. This passage demonstrates that homosexuality and homosexual behavior is immoral. And sexual immorality is to be abstained by Christians, because we were not called for impurity, we were called for sanctification. But Paul doesn't stop there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He goes on. And in verse 4 he says, not only are you supposed to abstain from sexual immorality, he says you've got to learn how to possess your vessel with honor and sanctification. Possessing your vessel, the vessel is this body, and the idea of owning this body. I'm supposed to own this body with honor and sanctification. In other words, I'm supposed to use this body, make use of this body, in a way that is honorable and sanctified, separated, devoted to God's service. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. What was that price with which we've been bought? The blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died in order to purchase this worthless body so that our sins can be removed, so that we can be called into sanctification. Paul says, therefore... You've got to remember who you are. You're not your own. I know we don't like this today, but we don't get to do whatever we want to with this body because it is not ours. God has purchased this with the valuable price of His Son's blood and now it needs to be used in His way, in a way that honors and glorifies Him. How do we do that? I think Peter helps us understand in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. I know that in that passage he's addressing specifically wives, but I believe we find some principles here that are universal in application. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Peter says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. The way we walk, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we conduct ourselves, needs to be something that does not demonstrate sexuality, but spirituality. I think it's a sad thing when I see Christians today wearing clothes and items that say sexy on them. We're Christians. It needs to say holy on there. And we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine the way we walk. We need to examine the way we talk. We need to examine the way we dress. 
and make sure that the way we are presenting ourselves is in a manner that says, I am holy. I am sanctified. I am here not to express sexuality, but to express sanctification. To express that I am God's servant. And as we examine ourselves, we've got to be honest. How tight are our clothes? Are they so tight that they reveal more than they conceal? We need to remember that's what clothes are all about. Hiding, not showing. And ladies, if we can see all your curves while you're dressed, you're just as immodest as if you were bearing the flesh. But what about that? How short are our skirts? How short are our shorts? How low cut are our tops? How much flesh are we revealing? What are we saying about ourselves with our dress? What about the way we move and the activities we involve ourselves? And I gotta tell you, I am absolutely amazed that there are Christians today who believe that the kind of lascivious dancing that goes on at school dances and the high school prom are sexually pure. With all those bodies rubbing close together and all that jiggling and wiggling, you don't think that's lascivious? Come on. Christians ought not be involved in that. We're not called to impurity, we're called to sanctification. And I am amazed at the things I have seen Christian girls do in the name of their schools as cheerleaders. I know the Beach Boys once told us that we ought to be true to our school, but first and foremost, we're to be true to our God. And everything we do, everything we say, the way we dress at all times, the way we move, needs to demonstrate sanctification and purity and holiness. Always. And that's the bottom line. But you know, Paul didn't stop there either. He digs a little deeper. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 5, he takes it another step. Not only does he talk about morality, not only does he talk about modesty, he talks about mental purity. He says that we need to avoid lustful passion. He says we've got to learn to control our eyes and we've got to learn to control our mind. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus dealt with this while He was on the earth. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus said this is serious. Guys, I want you to listen up. That statement that just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean I can't look at the menu is not godly. You're not allowed to look at the menu. You're allowed to look at your wife. And that's it. And wives, the same thing goes for you. We need to be able to say to our spouse, I only have eyes for you. The world passes by. 
Millions may come and go, but I don't know because I only have eyes for you. Job made a great statement in Job 31, verse 1. Job 31 and verse 1. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at the virgin? That's what we need to do. We need to make a covenant with our eyes. Then we're not going to stare at anybody, look at anybody with sexual desire or sexual thoughts, except our spouse. If you're not married, that means wait till you get married. Guys, that rules out those pornographic websites and magazines. That rules out Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition and those car magazines with those babes laying on the hood. It even rules out sneaking that peek at the Victoria's Secrets posters as you're walking through the mall. If you can't walk through the mall without looking at those posters, then send your wife. Make a covenant with your eyes. It's not just about our eyes. The fact is, guys, we know we've already botched it enough that we could pluck out our eyes and still have problems with it. The real issue is with our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3, talks about the battle that we're waging. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Our job is to take every thought captive. Control what we think about. Control our minds. Follow what Paul said in Philippians if your mind starts to wander and force it back to things that are pure and honest and true. Because... Brethren, we have been called not to impurity, but to sanctification. And before we leave this passage, there are two more things that we need to recognize that he says. There in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, he starts off by saying, You know what we taught you. Excel still more. This is important for us to notice because when it comes to these issues of purity... One of the problems that we have often is we spend all our time comparing ourselves to others and we think that because I'm not as bad as them, I must be doing okay. But that wasn't Paul's standard. Paul said, excel still more. He said that as a blanket statement to all these Christians, and it didn't matter where they were on their walk in purity, he said, your job is to do better. Think about that in verse 7. He said, we are not called to impurity but sanctification. Impurity does not mean somebody is wholly bad. Impurity means there's something impure in there. And until we have all those impurities removed, we have got to do better. It doesn't matter if we're doing better than other folks. Certainly we can find folks in the world who are doing better. Don't let that blind us to whether or not we are being impure. God is our standard. 
And Paul says, excel still more. It's a growth thing. Don't think that this means that if you've got room to grow, you're going to be condemned if you die today. It doesn't mean that. But if you're not growing, you will be condemned. Our job is to grow, to do better, wherever you are today. Unless you've got all those impurities removed, you've got to keep on growing. That's where I am. That's where we all are. But I also want you to notice this, because Paul points out how important this is. In the very last verse of this section, verse 8, Paul says, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. You see what God says about this? This is important. This is salvation stuff. When we think about folks who have rejected God, we think about people who have refused baptism. We think about people who don't worship God according to His pattern, or or they don't organize the church the way He said, or they teach some kind of false doctrine. When you think about folks who have rejected God, do you think about that woman who's showing too much cleavage? This passage says she's rejecting God. Do you think about the guy who takes that sneak peek at the Victoria's Secret? This passage says that man is rejecting God. And you know what? 2,000 years ago, Paul had to point out, I'm not saying this. God's saying this. You're not rejecting me if you don't listen. You're rejecting God. This is important, brethren. We cannot allow this battle to stop. Too many Christians have given up on this battle. Because they're afraid it makes us look too old-fashioned. Well, we are old-fashioned. We're 2,000 years old-fashioned because we're going to live according to this book, not according to our society. And we've got to have morality, modesty, and mental purity. Otherwise, we're rejecting God. Those aren't my words. Those are God's words. So where are you on the path of purity? You're probably just like me. Please don't think I'm up here saying, I've got all this straightened out. I don't ever take any looks. I don't ever do anything wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what Paul said in verse 1. Wherever you are, excel still more. And let's grow. Let's not give the cop out about being old-fashioned or not fitting in. Because, brethren, we're not supposed to fit in. We're supposed to be different from the world. I certainly hope that the lessons of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1-8 through 8 have sunk deep in your heart and will bear fruit as you strive to glorify God. Let's remember what we learned here today. We've learned that we were called for the purpose of sanctification, not impurity. That means, one, we need to abstain from sexual immorality. Two, we must possess our vessel or use our bodies in honor and sanctification. And three, we must avoid lustful passion, controlling our eyes and our minds. Finally, we learned that this is a growth process and we've got to excel still more and not reject God. Perhaps somebody gave you this CD. If so, I'd like to invite you to come to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. There are numerous lessons that you are free to download and use in any way that you believe glorifies God. There are audio versions of these lessons as well as the outline versions. If you have any questions about morality, 
about modesty, mental purity, about serving God in any other way, please feel free to contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.